Well, tonight we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. So if you can join me in 2 Corinthians 8, this is a somewhat shorter chapter. So we went through the first nine verses last week. And so we're just going to read those by way of context, but we're just going to read through this chapter. It's a pretty brief chapter. So if you didn't get your chapter reading in for today, so... The Bible says in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit, or we want to make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Again, those churches were made up of Philippi, Galatia, Berea, those churches that were in the northern region of Macedonia above Corinth. He said, How that in great trial of affliction and abundance of their joy and deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their generosity or their liberality. For their power, meaning their ability, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the, to the saints. And this they did not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish the same grace in you. Uh, grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, utterance, knowledge, and diligence, and your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. If you'd read verse 9 with me. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And herein I give my advice... For this is expedient for you who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it, that as it had been a readiness in will, so there may be a performance also out of that which you have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted to that a man hath, and not according to what he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened, but by equality, that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there be equality. As it is written, he that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. For indeed, he accepted the exhortation, but being forward, uh, being more forward of his own accord, he went unto you and we have sent him with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches, and not that only, but who was also chosen of the churches to travel with us with this grace also is, uh, uh, with this grace which is administered by us to the glory of the same Lord declaration uh, of your ready mind, avoiding this that no man should blame us in this abundance which is administered by us, providing for honest things not only in the sight of the Lord but also in the sight of men. And we have sent them, uh, sent with them our brother, whom we have oftentimes proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent upon the great confidence which I have in you, whether any do inquire of Titus. He is my partner and fellow helper concerning you, or our brother, uh, brethren be inquired of you. They are the messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. Uh, and then finally in verse 24, wherefore show ye to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Father, we thank you again for your word tonight. It is our joy. It is our wisdom. And to it we come and we pray that you would give us uh, a heart to stay focused upon your word, grant us insights. Uh, Lord, I pray that as this world becomes darker, that we could become lighter in Christ and that your word would fill our hearts. Lord, I pray tonight for the teens, the kids, the adult services. Father, if anyone doesn't know Christ, that tonight would be the night of their salvation and that our hearts would be fully surrendered to our King. We ask it in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. You may be seated tonight. Well, tonight we're going to be looking at the chapter of Second Corinthians here that is really one of the chapter eight and nine are the are the clearest passages in the Bible on what we would refer to as the grace of giving. Second Corinthians eight and nine, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. Uh, it's a prosperous area, it's a booming city, it's a port town. Siemens Paradise, they called it, because it was just so abundant. The churches at Jerusalem were struggling under great persecution. They were under poverty. 
the Roman taxation was strong. There was a great earthquake in 37 AD that caused a lot of crop failures to happen as well. Uh, there was a lot going on and uh, that, that were in, injecting poverty uh, into the, the already poor Christians of Jerusalem because uh, when they became believers at the day of Pentecost, uh, they became persecuted uh, by the Jews as well as the Romans. And so uh, they were struggling. They did good at first because in Acts 2 through 4, they were giving to each other. But, but over time, the persecution continued to increase. And uh, some of these other things, such as the earthquake and some crop failures and so forth, it caused uh, more intense suffering. And so there was a call by the churches to send relief to the brethren in Jerusalem. And so they were taking up love offerings to send that to support these poor churches. And chapter 8, 9, Paul writes to encourage them to share in this offering that they said they were going to do a year ago, but they had not sent anything yet. So to provoke them, he gives them the example of these Macedonian churches. He begins to speak about how incredible uh, the testimony was of sacrificial giving by the churches of Macedonia, again, the region that was north of Corinth. I showed you some of those pictures last week, but it was Philippi, the church at Berea, uh, when it says the Bereans were more noble than these, for they searched the scriptures daily. It was that church. It was the church at Philippi that Paul wrote uh, concerning the Philippians, and then also uh, the church at Thessalonica. So, so these were the churches that were in that region. Uh, and so uh, we're going to look at the example of Ma the Macedonian churches that Paul gave to them. And, and I pray that we could be a Macedonian church. Uh, just like Paul gave them that example, may we follow that example as well. And, you know, it's important to understand um, the, 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 Generosity in a Christian's life is essential. Uh, God has not called us to be stingy people. And I think one of the most transformational things in a person's life is when they go from being a taker to being a giver, from being a consumer mentality to being a contributing mentality. Uh, to stop looking at, as the president once said years ago, not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. So we would say, don't ask what your church can do for you, but what you can do for your church and for your Lord. And that life is not about accumulating, it's about giving. Uh, Jesus' economy is addition by subtraction. Uh, he gave some very paradoxical statements, uh, such as, uh, he that saves his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life shall save it. He said things like, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And that, again, whosoever saves his life shall lose it in Matthew 16, 24 and 5. And if you save your life, uh, you will end up losing it. But if you lose it for Christ's sake, you're going to find it. Uh, he said in Matthew 19, 29, everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life that there is sacrifice involved, but the temporal sacrifices gain you an eternal reward. And so his economy, things are reversed. Some of you are living for the eternal economy and some of you are not. Just know this, everyone's investing every day. You're either investing in the earthly market of the flesh and of the world and the temporal, or you're investing in the eternal economy of God. It's what Matthew 6, 19 and 20 says, right? Did Jesus say, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth and rust doth not corrupt and where thieves don't break through and steal? He says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth because moth and rust corrupts and thieves break through and steal. Uh, one day, some people are going to find out they don't have much because they did not prepare for eternity. In Jesus' economy, things are reversed. That in giving, there's receiving, and in keeping, there's losing. And, and, and again, I believe giving is a reflection of growing. I believe that we are all born as consumers. We're all born to, to cry out, it is mine. But we're born again to be givers and to deny ourselves. And as I said last week, God is the great giver. 
James 1.17 says, Every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. That everything we have is a gift of His grace. And when you receive the ultimate giver, He turns takers into givers. And, 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 and if, you're, if you are saved and you're not a generous person, if you are, you are still somewhat of a selfish person and, and you struggle to give and, and minister and serve and help and financially invest in the things of God, then it is evident that you're still on the throne at some level because Jesus cannot sit on the throne and become a stingy person. I never grew up in a mission-focused church. Some of you maybe did. Uh, I went to a church that was focused on church planning, but they were not focused on missions. Uh, they didn't really, they didn't have missions conferences. They didn't focus on on those kind of things very often. Uh, when I went to Bible college, I did get involved in a church that began to really promote missions. And I remember as a college student, I would give a tithe to the Lord, and then I would begin to set aside five dollars a week to give to missions. I thought at least I can do that, and. And, uh, and God's allowed us to continue to grow in that over the last 20-some years and, and just, just in continue to grow because I feel like if uh, in every area of our life we need to be growing, and I believe that same thing should be true of the church here. I believe that we should not be going in reverse in our giving. Um, so I've never done this before. But I went back to see how Lighthouse has grown in giving to missions works. Uh, mo obviously, I think most of you know that this church started with eight people. Uh, we started in a hotel conference room. So 2010, the church chartered, and we became an independent church. Um, and so 2010, the first full year, we gave $6,668 to missions uh, in 2010. So I'm not going to go through every year, so I'll jump every couple years. But 2012, that bumped up to 26199 2016, it nearly doubled, went up to 47000 2018, 74000 2020, 91000 2022, 134000 And this year, we've been able to give, by the grace of God, 156000 or on pace to give over 175000 by the end of the year. That's a blessing, isn't it? Can we give the Lord a hand for that? And uh, so, so Lighthouse, which started with eight people, 14 years later, sent out, is going to be sending out by the end of the year over $175,000 to, to over 66 mission works around the world. There's a lot of gospel going out. Is that a blessing? Isn't that awesome? Because as a collective whole, that's what you can do. That's why when people say, well, I don't believe in going to church. I'm, I am the church. Okay, sit at home. And, and, and that's probably what will happen is there's not a whole lot of gospel effort. And so God, the church is not an individual sitting at home, by the way. Amen. The church is the body of Christ coming together. And so the churches at Macedonia, they were Jesus churches. I mean, they, they, these were generous churches. They were extremely over-the-top generous churches. And, and so I want to give you eight principles tonight on giving and how we could be in Macedonian church and, and move toward that because I believe that that's something we could always grow in. Uh, some of these points I'm going to move through pretty quick because we had already re re reviewed some of these verses, uh, so I just want to highlight some of these things, but I'm going to work through the entire chapter uh, by the end of this service, all right? Thank you for that laughter. I hear that. <laughs> I hear all of it. So first of all, uh, principle number one is God's grace is what produces givers. God's grace is what produces that. At least eight times, grace is connected to giving in chapters eight and nine. Uh, when your hands in life reflect generosity, it reflects the grace of God in your life. Remember Zacchaeus? Uh, he became a radical giver when the radical giver came inside of his life. Paul prays the same grace that caused the Macedonian churches to be so generous would abound in the church at Corinth. That's what he says in verse number one. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. It wasn't their goodness that produced the giving. It was God's goodness. Secondly, principle two is generosity is not an issue of circumstance, but an issue of the heart. The Macedonian churches gave in spite of their poverty. 
verse number two through three talks about how they were in deep poverty. They were also suffering uh, great persecution, but that did not stop them from giving. It abounded to their liberality or their, their great abundance of giving. They were Paul was somewhat hesitant to even ask the Macedonian churches to, to partake in giving. That's why verse 4, it says, they, the Macedonian church is praying us with much entreaty. In other words, they were praying us with much urgency that we would receive the gift or the generous offering. Uh, they were pleading with Paul to let them partake in this offering. Because Paul was probably like, you know what, you guys... We know you're suffering, we know you don't have a lot, but they're like, listen, we're going to give and we're going to give abundantly and you're not going to hold us back from being able to partake in serving in the ministry and by giving and by helping those that are in need. I like what Christotum said. He said, they did the begging, not Paul. What an example. Thirdly, self-giving must precede financial giving. Look at verse number five. It says this, why were they so generous? Verse five, and this they did not as we hoped, uh, by this, Paul means they were far beyond what they had hoped they could do, but first gave their own self to the Lord un, uh, and unto us by the will of God. The reason they were so generous is because they had given their heart to the Lord. And when you give your heart to the Lord, you can give what's in your hand to the Lord. Number four, fourth principle is believers should seek to grow in the grace of giving. That's why he says in verse seven, therefore, as ye abound in everything, everything in faith, utterance, knowledge, diligence, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. Listen, Christians should be growing in every aspect of their Christianity, but you cannot divorce giving from growing. It is essential. It is essential. Number five, giving is an expression of our love. It's been said that you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 8, he says, I speak not by commandment, but by the occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. I want, I want to see your love by your giving. That's why he, and, and he uses the perfect example of giving and loving generosity in the person of who in verse number 9. He uses the example of Jesus Christ. In verse 9, he says, For ye know the grace... And again, the word grace here is connected to giving. You know the giving nature or the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What was his giving like? That though he was rich, yet he became poor. Yet for your sakes he became poor. That ye through his poverty might be rich. Jesus Christ laid aside his crown so that one day we could receive a crown. He laid aside his royal garments to put upon that cloak of a servant. To be made in the likeness of a man, the kenosis, the self-emptying of Christ. The Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 through 11. He did that so that we might be kings and priests of God. Revelation chapter 1, 6 and 7. I mean, this is who God is. He says in verse 24, he closes the chapter out by saying this. Wherefore, show ye to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. You know, I think about Eric Woodworth. I was just, he was just sending me some messages today and work's going great there. It's going to be coming on two years this spring. We have a mission trip planned uh, in June there. He's already got one church planted. Um, he's got a pastor there. He's in training. He said, uh, he said, you know, we might as well go ahead and start praying and planning for church plant number two in 2024, 2020, or 2025, going in that next year, I said, praise the Lord, that's right. So he's already praying for, planning ahead, and uh, generating that. But he's like, you know, we're going to need some more giving. We're going to need some more churches to come on board. And uh, man, that's exciting, isn't it? That church over there, by the end of this year, uh, is on pace to be totally self-supporting as an indigenous work by itself. That's insane. In the third poorest uh, country in South America, that, that, in Honduras, that's going to be a self I've been over there where the missionaries won't even take up offerings from the people because they're like, they're so poor, we just feel bad about it. I was like, I was always thinking like, that's terrible. Like you should take up an offering. It's not that the, you need, 
you need their pennies. It's that they need to give to the Lord. Right? I, I agree. That, I'll say it myself. I agree with that. I mean, who was I reading about? The, um, um, in, in the 1960s, uh, Richard Wormbrandt and, and some of those guys that were in places in Romania um, where they were under incredible duress, incredible persecution. They, they didn't have anything. I mean, they, they were suffering. They were being killed. They were being treated like less than animals. And, and he said there was a spirit of giving. And so every 10th day, he would give his like bowl of food or bread or whatever to someone else to tithe it. You know, that, that's, you know, again, I think tithing is a principle to follow in the Bible. I don't think it's a command in the New Testament. I think it's a principle. I don't think it's an ending point. I think, in my view, is a starting point uh, that we should be moving past that. But, but I, I just think it's, you know, giving is not an issue of what you have in your hand. It's what you have in your heart. And just it's such an incredible and it's so important because giving evidence is our love for, for, for the Lord, for his ministry, for work. Matthew 6, 21, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I can tell you, if you never give to support ministries and missions and the church, and, and you, never, you never give to somebody else who's in need, you never minister out, I can tell you, uh, that's a big reflection on you. And I don't know, and here's the thing, I don't know who gives what in the church. <laughs> So if you're under conviction, you're like, man, you know, what have you been looking at the, my records this year? I don't have a clue. That's all on you. So if you've been feeling any conviction, that's you and God thing right there, okay? Number six, uh, carry out your commitment to give. Here's another principle. Principle six. See, we only have three more principles. You didn't think I could get through it, did you? Uh, but these are a little lengthier. Um, so verse number 10, he says this. Uh, he says, herein I give my advice, uh, for this is expedient for you who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. He says, now therefore perform the doing of it. That there was a readiness to the will, so there may be a performance also out of that which you have. Now, more than a year ago, they had expressed passion to give, to help the need, to minister to those Christians suffering in Jerusalem. Paul is now asking them to put feet to their prayers, <laughs> Uh, not, not just to fill the commitment card out, but to continue to give. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, he says, Insomuch that we desire Titus, that as he, as he begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Uh, he says in chapter 9, verse 5, uh, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that uh, they would go before you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof uh, ye had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty, not of covetousness, that, that you would be ready. He keeps telling them, perform the doing of it. It's one thing to say, I'll give. It's another thing to actually give. Uh, and, and the Macedonian church is led by example. They're, they were not just giving words of commitment. They were doing actions that evidence their commitment. So don't make a commitment you don't intend to keep. Follow through with that. Warren Wiersbe said how easy it is to make promises and then fail to keep them. If they had fulfilled their other financial obligations in the same manner, they might have been thrown in jail. Talking about the church at Corinth. Because they were saying they were going to do it. You know, imagine if you didn't, you said you're going to pay for a house, but you never paid for it. Or you're going to pay for college and you never sent anything in. William Barclay has some insight on this. He said, the devil will let you resolve as much as you like. The more, the better. So interesting. He says, just as long as you never carry it out. The tragedy of life so often is not that we have no high impulses, but that we fail to turn them into actions. You know, I think I'm going to do that. I think I'm going to do that. Well, you can have all those resolutions you want to, but if you don't do anything about it, Satan rejoices. Keep making commitments and do nothing with them. And you are... In the same boat as what the Corinthians would be being rebuked for. And we've all fallen into that at some point. Now Jesus spoke of the importance of being faithful with our finances as being foundational to God giving us spiritual responsibility. Because if, if I can't be faithful, listen to me. If I can't be faithful with this, I can't be faithful with this. Because this is a lot less than this. 
Is there anybody awake tonight? Y'all agree with that? Okay. <laughs> it's warm today, preacher. We got relaxed, you know. So, but, but the, the, it's, a, it's a whole lot easier to be faithful with this than this. It's a whole lot easier. It's a lot less responsibility. That's why Jesus said this in Luke 16, verse 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in that which is much. He that is unjust in the least shall be unjust in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, you could call that the unrighteous money. If you can't be faithful with money, who will commit to your trust the true riches? That's why I've told you before, I always wondered why God had me go through such a financially tight place the first couple years of our marriage. I was helping my brother start a church in Chillicothe 20 years ago, and it was so tight. I, I didn't eat out for two years, never, never bought a pop, never bought a candy bar. People stop at these little speedway things. Not one time ever. Brown bagged it, had my little bologna sandwich, or no, it was turkey sandwich chips, you know, and then I, there's no days I found out that those daggone suckers, they, they, they give you a bag this big and there's this many chips in the bottom. I'm like, man, I have to, you know, that's ridiculous. But, but, uh, you know, Eric, it was the same thing for him when he came here and he was, uh, you know, so tight and, and just in a, in a in, but, but it's, you know, I never, never was late on a payment, never borrowed money, never had to put a penny on a credit card, never had to ask anyone for money. I was, I had to be extremely diligent though. He, he supplied all the needs. There wasn't really much in the want category. But I can tell you, I was living like a king compared to the third world countries. I was fat and sassy compared to the people I've seen over in third world countries. There were no complaints going on there. And so, uh, but, but God wants to make sure. So if you're in that place, just know that he's testing you. He wants to see, will you be faithful? If you're honest and you, you live by biblical principles, you live according to the Word of God, you don't get real stingy and think that, hey, closed hands going to keep a heavier pocket and you got to be all stingy and all that stuff. I can tell you, uh, you're going to find yourself running out. you got to learn to be faithful, work hard, uh, give. But the Bible tells us uh, when you're honest, when you work hard, when you do things in a biblical pattern, God will not only give you enough to take care of you, but He'll give you enough to where you can bless other people with it. That's what Ephesians chapter 4, 26, 7, and 8 talk about. And so, um, principle number seven. Uh, giving should be done willingly and proportionately. should be done in a willing way and in a proportionate way. For He, he says there, uh, verse number 12, uh, For if there be first a willing mind, it's acceptable according to a, uh, that a man hath, and not according to what he hath not. Uh, notice Paul didn't give a percent for them to give, right? Rather, he goes to the motive. You start with a willing mind. You start with desire and eagerness to do what's right. Giving starts with inward motive. As one man said, God scales away motives, not money. God is not asking you to give what you do not have. I like what Wearsby said, it's not the portion, but the proportion that God seeks I like what Brian Bell said, God judges not according to what a man has not the opportunity to do, but according to what he does when he has it and what he would do if he had it. Henry Morris also says, although the New Testament does not specify tithing as the Old Testament does, the principle of proportionate giving is advocated. The key measure is not the proportion given, but the amount retained. That's interesting, and it's true. So he tells us, there has to be a willingness before you give. Verse 13, he says, For I mean not that other men be eased and you're burdened. He's not saying uh, don't give to where you are at the point of poverty and th that they could live in prosperity. Uh, you know, sometimes people say give till it hurts. <laughs> but rather it's to give in proportion to what you have the ability to give. If you don't have much, then just give what you can. And in the same way, it's a proportionate thing. And so he goes on in verse 14, he says, uh, I don't want you to be burdened so that they could be eased, so that they could live in prosperity and you live in poverty, but verse 14, but by equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their one and that their abundance also may be a supply for your one, that there may be equality. And, um, and I see that, you know, I think in America, our, uh, it should never be the government's 
role to financially provide for its citizens. This, is, this, this whole system that we've created in the United States, there's all kinds of things I could talk about right now. But, um, you know, even in the Bible, you don't even have, you don't even have prisons. They, you know, penitentiaries were designed to get people to come to penance. You ever see too many people come to penance in penitentiaries? You know, you need to send some preachers in there to preach. I mean, we do have some prison ministry that we support, and they do a great job, and uh, thankful for that. But, um, but in the Bible, they, if, you're, if, if, if the crime was bad enough, there was an execution. People say, well, that's not fair. Uh, well, it cleaned up their society. They didn't have the problems we had. But, but hey, since we passed marijuana, maybe we'll do better in our state, right? You know, you know, the, yeah, you know, that's, you know, I'm not promoting marijuana, right? So, um, that was very sarcastic. Uh, you know, and it, it's hard for me to, to fully, you know, I don't want to be cynical and, and things, but it's hard for me to believe that, um, uh, when, when, the, when the state and the medical or the, the, the drug industry is going to make hundreds of millions of dollars off of this, hundreds of millions, it would be hard for me to see that this is a legit election sometimes. Maybe it is. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm just going to keep preaching. Let's go on to the next verse. I don't believe a lot of stuff anymore. I've lost my trust on some things. Verse 14. But you need to vote. We voted. voted. And uh, so, so we want abortion in America, in Ohio. We want to staple that. And we want to smoke our marijuana. That's what America voted yesterday, right? Uh, so, so you can abort a baby. And, and we've, we've stapled that into the Constitution, if you would, in the state. It's just a tragic thing. Anyway, we need to pray for our, our country. We need to pray for our states. And uh, the liberal agenda has definitely won yesterday. So it's, it's, it's rough. But uh, praise the Lord that our kingdom is not of this world. Amen. I can tell you, you get to heaven, nobody's smoking pot. Anybody think that's true? Any pot smoking in heaven? Well, I think it should be legalized. Alcohol is. Well, then make alcohol illegal too. I'm not a fan of alcohol either. Amen. You think, eh, I see, I just need to stay with this. And there won't be abortion in heaven. Praise the Lord. Little babies ain't going to be killed in heaven. Now, uh, this was what happened to the Jerusalem church. They, they, they were, um, those who had much in the Jerusalem church in that first century, uh, they gave to those who didn't have anything. Because remember, at the day of Pentecost, a lot of people came from other, there, there were what were known as Hellenistic Jews, Jews that were Hellenized. They were Jews, but they were, they were Greek-speaking Jews, and, 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 and they had kind of been absorbed in the culture of a lot of those other outlying areas. And so when they came to Jerusalem, they got saved. They, they didn't have any other churches to go back home to, so they stayed in Jerusalem. Plus, they were you know, being rejected by their homes. So they stayed there and, and they were very poor and uh, it's hard to find work in places where you were under persecution. So the, the people in Acts chapter 4, they were, it says this, uh, I could just read these verses, Acts 4.33 says, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord and great grace. See that grace was upon them all. What did it produce? Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, bought the price of the things that were sold, laid them down at the apostles' feet, Distribu distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. This isn't socialism. Personal property is biblical, okay? But what this is, is a unique season of time where there were thousands that were living in a community that had no land, no property, nothing. And people were like, I would love them like I would love myself. So I'm going to give up certain things so that they can have a place to live. They can have food and clothing, right? So 2 Corinthians 8 verse 15 says, As it is written, he that gathered much had nothing over. He that had gathered little had no lack. So here Paul quotes uh, Exodus chapter 16 verse 18. Uh, when God had miraculously fed the nation of Israel with what is it? Isn't that funny? They called manna, what is it? That's what manna means. It's like, what is it? It's like, that's a, that's a smart word. You know, what is it? So, so this manna came down, and, and they, they had an omer. Uh, it's like 3.6 liters, basically about one gallon uh, size. They would go out, and so if you had six people, you can get six omers. 
of manna, of the what is it, and you fill it up and you bring it back. And what happened was uh, there were some people who were sick, disabled physically, maybe not able to get out as much to, to, to gather up. So, so some people would have gone out and gathered for them. So they, they that had gathered much had had no leftovers, and they that had gathered little uh, had no lack. That's why it says that. That's what that's talking about. There was an equality. There was a caring one for another. They shared, and uh, everybody had what they needed. Now, what's interesting, just to kind of stay in Exodus for just a moment, after he gives that admonition and that encouragement in Exodus 16, verse 18, what, what Paul quotes here in verse 15 the next verse in Exodus 16, 19, it says, And Moses said, Let no man leave it uh, till the morning. So if, if you have some of the manna, like don't, don't keep it in your cupboard or your refrigerator. You know, you can't air fry that stuff probably. So, so he says, don't, don't leave it. Now, can you imagine you don't have like, we have, we have cupboards full of food, don't we? I mean, we have more than enough. We all go home and we are fat and sassy. I mean, we, 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 we our problem each night is like, what should I not eat? Right? Should I not eat? Uh, we, are, we are so blessed. That, that, this is a unique point in history because most people don't have, didn't have that and, and really still don't have that. And so we're so prosperous. But, but they... You know, and, and what was God doing? Like, like you imagine there's, it's like, what are we going to eat for breakfast? Can you imagine how the conversation went? You know, Moses said, don't keep it over. Well, that's Moses. Look at him. He's been in the wilderness for 80 years. You know, 40 years. You know, he's just this guy. He's 80 years old. Can't trust him. And, uh, you know, what are we going to eat for breakfast? What if it doesn't come back down? What if the manna doesn't, what if what is it doesn't show back up tomorrow? And, and, and boy, that could have been a, an easy conversation to cause people to say, you know what, let's just go ahead and keep it over. And, and you know what happened when they kept it? Maggots, it bred worms, and it spoiled immediately. God didn't put white bread preservatives, okay? Bread is not supposed to last for 25 years. Now, I don't know if it'll last that long, but like the good Amish bread. You ever get the Amish bread? It's like manna right there. Yes, sir. So, so what the Lord was doing was he wanted to teach them to pray, give us this day our... Is that important to learn? You think that's important to learn to trust God? You think it's more about trust than it is the manna? Yeah. We don't like praying, give us this day our daily bread. We'd be like, Lord, give me maybe this week my weekly bread. I don't like to go shopping every day. Uh, but, but the idea being, I don't want to have, be needy every day. I like to have that concern off of my heart. And God says, sometimes you need that concern on your heart. And we say, you know what? I'm just in a real tight place right now. I'm just not sure how we're going to do it financially. And God says, oh, no, you have enough. You just, you just want more. You, you want to fill your cabinets. You, you want to have that extra. And I can tell you, friends, uh, if, if you're eating out, if you're going eating fast food, if you're, if you're going down to Speedway and you're telling me you don't have enough, uh, then he must be teaching you something he didn't teach me. Because personal testimony is, I know what it's like to live on the pennies. Tight as can be. I, I know what it's like to come to church and people say, hey, you want to go out to eat? And I'm like, no, why not? Why don't you ever go out to eat with us? Ah, I probably need to get home. I don't have the money. You know, now I do. I, but, but back then it was... It was, it was like that. And you know, there's people in church that may be like that. And watch you, if you see a younger family, if you're an older family in the church, or if you're somebody that may be a younger family and you're doing okay, why don't you just be sensitive to somebody, maybe a younger family, maybe somebody that you know, maybe just the husband's working, the wife's staying at home. Man, that's a, we're living in, in a, you got to make decent money in our culture, don't you? It's crazy how much money you have to make in our world today. 
And why don't, why don't you just send them a $50 gift card and say, hey, you know, just want, just, you don't even have to put your name on it, just praying for you. Just wanted you to know that, that as a church member, church family, uh, we love you. And uh, go, go take an evening out with your wife. Uh, what a blessing that would be. Wouldn't that be good as you come into Thanksgiving, Christmas? Just say, God, can you put somebody on my heart? Can you, can you put somebody on my heart to be able to give? Our, our, our missions team here, we've, we've allocated, uh, I think, $1,500 going into the month of December uh, to find some of our missionaries that may be in somewhat of a tighter spot to be able to send them some money for Christmas or to send them some gifts for their families. Because some of these missionaries are in a very tight situation and just say, hey, we just want you to know we care about you as well. And, and, and we want to support you as well. And I can tell you, it, it's, it's, it means a lot for these guys uh, in that area to know that the church cares for them, that they love them, that they want to support them. And so uh, we have 66 missionaries by God's grace that he's allowed us to be able to partner with. Now, now notice what the Israelites did after Moses warns them in Exodus 16, verse 20. It says, notwithstanding, they hearkened not to Moses, but some of them left it till the morning and it bred worms and stank. So I think about what James did. He rebuked the church uh, that he was, the believers he was writing to in the book of James uh, because there were rich people in the church he was writing to, and they were taking advantage of what were known as day laborers. People that worked that day to make money that day, and, and the rich people were getting richer by, by really uh, taking advantage of some of these situations. In James 5, he says, go to now, ye rich men. Again, the problem's not being rich. The problem is, is, is loving money and hoarding that and taking advantage of poor Christians. He says, go to now, ye rich, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments moth-eaten, your gold and silver are cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you. Who, who wants to leave a mansion on earth and have done nothing for the kingdom and call themselves a Christian? Nothing wrong if you, if you have nice things. No, there's nothing wrong with that. But when you've not invested in the things of God, that's a problem. Proverbs 11, 4 says, Rich is profit not in the day of wrath but righteousness delivereth from death. And so Charles Hodge said, the lesson taught in Exodus and by Paul is that among the people of God, the superabundance of one should be employed in uh, relieving the necessity of others and that any attempt to countervail this law will result in shame and loss. Property for us is like our manna. We don't want to be hoarding it. Let me give you one last principle. I told you we'd get there by faith. Lastly, and this, this brings a, a wonderful point in verse 16 through 24, is integrity and accountability are necessary with God's resources. Paul sent Titus to Corinth. So if you're going to take a huge love offering up back then, you didn't just, you know, can you transfer those funds into the account over in Jerusalem? Uh, it didn't happen that way. They had to physically go there, spend months transitioning that from a person to uh, the Jerusalem church. Now, how do you do that? I mean, I mean, what's the process of accountability here, right? So Paul deals with that in verse 16 through 24, how helpful this is. So he sends them Titus, verse 16 says, but thanks be to God which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. Now Titus was actually a Greek, according to Galatians 2, 3, he was a Gentile. He's mentioned nine times in 2 Corinthians. Paul refers to him as his own brother, Spiritually speaking, his partner and fellow laborer in verse 23. Uh, most likely, Titus accompanied Paul on his second and third missionary journeys. He wrote the book of Titus to this young pastor named Titus and calls him his own son after the common faith. But the last time Paul mentions Titus in this letter, he wrote, uh, which was to Timothy, where he says that Titus had departed to minister to Dalmatia, which is modern-day Yugoslavia. In 2 Corinthians 8.16, he says that Titus had the same heart and love for the Corinthians that Paul had for them. So, so he's saying, listen, Titus is going to come, and, and he's not just coming for the offering. He loves you. He, he loves not just what you can provide, but the people. He, he cares for you. And uh, verse 17, he says, for indeed he accepted the exhortation. What that means is Titus accepted Paul's appeal for the offering. He says, but being more forward of his own accord, he went unto you. He volunteered to go to Corinth, in other words. He, he, he wanted to go. He accepted Paul's admonition about this offering. He says, then, then I'll go take it because he loved the Corinthians. 
And, uh, and, but, but does he send Titus alone? Is it a good idea for one person to be over the financial arrangement? And so look what he says in verse 18. And we have sent with him the brother. Now, who is the brother? It says, whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, only, not, and not that only, but who was also chosen of the churches to travel with us with this grace or these finances, which is administered by us to the glory of the same Lord and declaration of your ready mind. So he says, we're going to send the brother. Now, who is this brother? Well, the answer is, I don't know. Because the Bible does not say. What I do know is this was a man of great integrity and was so well known to all the churches. He had such high reputation that he didn't even have to give his name. Some speculate that this was Luke, but we again are not sure. Now, godly integrity and accountability are essential in the matters of God's finances. No matter how godly someone is, no one should ever be left alone in any situation uh, for financial oversight. There needs to be a group that's over that. When we started Lighthouse Baptist Church, I have never been involved in counting money here, <clears throat> ever. Uh, I, as I said before, I don't know who gives what at Lighthouse. Uh, we've always had a group of godly men that were uh, appointed as trustees in the church uh, to oversee that, men of integrity whose testimonies follow that. We've also never allowed just one person to count funds. It's always a plurality of godly leaders that do that. We have security that takes the funds along with those men back to a room and keeping that safe uh, all the time. We also <clears throat> have a retired 30-plus year retired bank uh, manager uh, that it is our financial secretary at the church. What a blessing that is. Uh, they have been an incredible steward over that uh, job, and we are so thankful for her. We also have a retired lieutenant of the city police who also gives oversight to the financial integrity here. We have monthly reports that we give to the church. We'll be sharing that next Wednesday. We have quarterly leadership meetings with a group of all of our deacons and trustees with a financial breakdown that, I, uh, that me and the, uh, our financial secretary lay out to the leadership. Why do we do that? So they know... Everybody knows what, what's going on in the leadership. We have annual reporting details the finance, that detail the financial income expenses of the church. We do that in January for all the members and all those who attend Lighthouse and are part of the church here. Uh, that, that is essential. I've had people say, your church is the only church that I've ever seen hand out a financial uh, report uh, on a monthly basis. I've never been a part of that. That, that, that matters because if you're giving to something, you need to know where the money's going. You believe that? You need to know. Uh, you don't want somebody who can just be uh, a, a single oversight over that. And so it's an important part of the financial integrity and accountability in that area. Uh, also, when we took up our love offering for the finances uh, with, with the building project, we said we're going to take up you know $50,000 offering for these external construction projects and the things going on. Uh, you could see that coming to pass. Doesn't the church look nice? You're pulling in, you know, this was an old grocery store, but I tell you, it looks nice. Uh, we're going to make it as nice as we can uh, because we believe that God's property should reflect uh, the glory of God and, and the way we take care of that, it, that it would matter to us. And so why was Paul so careful? Look at verse 20. He says, avoiding this, that no man should blame us in this abundance which is ministered by us, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord. What's that mean? It means that you don't just say, well, uh, they should know my heart. No, it's not just that. It's not enough for somebody to say, God knows my heart. We also must be right in the sight of men. That there is not anything that would, could, could be accused, that would be above reproach. Uh, that that no, one, no one in the community would say, you know what, that, that there's just a lot of unscrupulous things that go on there. There are some things that are shady. It was tragic to hear some of that that I won't get into it, but I won't even name them. But uh, there was a larger ministry that was a very faithful apologetic ministry that uh, a few years ago that just some things came out after the founder of that ministry had passed away that some of the financial dealings were not up and up. You know, time and truth hold hands, don't they? G. Campbell Morgan said, it is the business of the Christian community to do its business in such a way that, a men, uh, that men of the world have no cause to suspect anything contrary to righteousness in its affairs. 
Now, Paul's concluding words in this section are in verse 22 through 24. He says, And we have sent with him our brother, whom we have oftentimes proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent uh, upon the great confidence which I have in you. So he's saying, we're sending these guys together. There's, we have great confidence. They're very diligent. He says, Where, Whether any do inquire of Titus, he is my partner and fellow helper concerning you. So he's again validating these guys or our brethren be inquired of. They are the messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. And then he ends this section here in verse 24. Wherefore, show ye to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Let me ask you, friend, let me ask you a question. Because just as the church should have integrity in its dealings, do you have integrity in your finances? Just Just as the church reveals how it takes care of its finances, would you feel that you have that kind of integrity to reveal to a godly leader in your life? To share with a mentor and say, hey, I, I want you to know how I spend my money, what I spend it on, and, and how faithful I am with that. I'm not telling you to go do that, but I'm just saying that not only is it important integrity in, in a co- corporate sense, but it's also in a personal sense important. Amen? And so uh, are you considered trustworthy financially by those in your life? You may not be involved in overseeing finances of a church, but you're overseeing the Lord's finances in your life. How faithful are you with what God has placed in your hands? That's a big deal. That's a big deal. I would encourage you to take Luke 16, 10 and 11. And Jesus says, if you can't be faithful in this, this here, you cannot be faithful in this here. That's why I think, I think um, some ministries suffer because their financial stewardship is out of line. And so just in conclusion, principle one, God's grace produces givers. Secondly, generosity is not an issue of our circumstances, an issue of our heart. Thirdly, self-giving must precede financial giving. Fourthly, believers should seek to grow in the grace of giving. Five, giving is an expression of love. Number six, we need to carry out what we commit to do. Don't just be a sayer, but be a doer. Number seven, giving should be done willingly and proportionately. And then eight, integrity and accountability are necessities in oversight of God's resources. I know this is a practical message, but sometimes we need that, right? Uh, that's scripture. And so we, I don't design the message. The word of God does. And so I just want to follow the pattern of what scriptures tell me to do. And so tonight, uh, let's step back and take a look at our own finances and giving. That has a great attachment to our hearts and our service to God. Let's all stand tonight.